0: Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yes. Yes. Hello. <laughs> I presume more people had a good Thanksgiving than that. So uh, anyway, it's over. We're going into the Christmas season. Um, I've got some thoughts I want to share with you, but I want to start with a scripture. Uh, Dominic, can we put up Romans 12, 21? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See the contrast there. They're opposites. And then I want us to look at Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God is a good God. But the God of this world is a bad God. And Satan wants to take away everything God wants to give to us. Contrast: God is a good God. Remember that. We have a choice. We can believe God's a good God or we can believe he's really an absent God, which then wouldn't be really good for us. When I served my time in in the service, it was during the Cold War and they sent me to Augsburg, Germany where I worked with an intelligence unit that was uh, housed in a uh, World War II military compound called Flak Concern. You know, everybody know what flak is? When bombers would fly over, they would send up these uh, rockets with explosives on the end, hoping to take out some of those planes. Right next door to Flak Kasern was an industrial complex where they made the equipment for war. So when the Allies flew over that area, they targeted, and they they were really great at what they did, they targeted the industrial complex, not the flak concern right next door that sent up the flak. They didn't care about that. They wanted to take out their ability to make war. So it was interesting that the the compound where I was, it wasn't one brick out of place. And right next door, where they had these factories, everything was obliterated. That's how targeted it was. So I uh, so everything around Flat Casern, when I was there, it was 23 years after the end of World War II. Everything was brand new. Everything had been rebuilt. Everything was sparkling, shiny, even the concrete was white. And I remember uh, I, I spent 15 bucks and I bought a bicycle from a fellow GI who came home and I rode my I rode that bike downtown Augsburg and I, I bought a, a map of the old city of Augsburg and I, I saw on there where there was a moat that they had around the city years before. And it was really cool to go around and look at all the ancient history. You know that's where Martin Luther signed the, signed the Augsburg Confession. I actually saw that building where that took place. It was such a contrast between the old and the new. Because all the residential area and all the businesses were, was brand, like brand new, but, but they had this one area where the Allies didn't drop a single bomb. They preserved history where it wasn't a war machine. The old and the new. So what I want to talk about today is contrast, and contrast that God gives us. Choices that we have to make. And so you have an outline there in front of you on the other side of your insider you got when you came in the door. To give you uh, these things, if you want to write them down, here's the first contrast, the first choice. There's light and there's darkness. Both in the world, we have a choice. Do we want to walk where there's light or would we prefer to walk in the darkness? The scripture I'm sharing here is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, And even if our gospel is veiled, which means hidden, covered up, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Jesus Christ is the image of God. When we accept him, he comes inside of us, and people should see the light inside of us shining out. They should see something different in our life. We shouldn't just look like everybody else who's walking in the darkness. We should be people of the light. I've got four scriptures I want to share that relate to this light versus darkness conflict. Uh, the first one's in John chapter 9, verse 25. Jesus had healed a blind man, and people came and they accused. They said to Who healed you? It couldn't be a good man, it had to be a bad man because he did it on the Sabbath. So he's got to be a sinner. And the blind man replied, Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know I was blind, but now I see. Being blind is living in the darkness when the light shines in the darkness, comes to life. Think back to the creation story. The default position was darkness. There was void. And God said, let there be light. And light stepped into the darkness. Darkness isn't something that comes into the light. The light comes into the darkness that's already there. Thank God for his grace and turning and shining a light on your life, shining a light on my life. Letting me see where I'm going. I once was blind, but now I see. You don't. This this guy said, I don't know if Jesus is a sinner or not. He didn't know anything theologically. He didn't know what he believed. He didn't know even know who his savior was. He said, The only thing I know is I was blind. And now I see. Amen. Do we see this? Amen. This is our story. We don't have to explain everything to people. All we have to say is, I, this is my story. This is what the Lord did for me. I once was confused. I once was, was messing my life up. I once was having everything turn bad on me. But when I accepted Christ, it changed everything. People will hear you when you say that. Here's the second supporting scripture. Second Kings um, chapter six is a story about a king who was upset. He was angry at his soldiers because they were at war with Israel. And every time their army got ready to go to war against Israel, there was an ambush. It's like the Israelis knew every thought they had. So he got all his officers together and he said, I have had it. There's a mole. Somebody is taking our secrets and giving them to Israel. Which one is it? And the officer spoke up and said, Well, it's none of us. Not a one of us. None of us are betraying confidence. You see, it's that prophet Elisha, because everything you whisper in your bedroom, Elisha goes and announces to the king of Israel, and they have a plan ready for everything. And so the servant looked out his window, the servant of Elisha, and he saw that the enemy had come to arrest Elisha and take him back because the king had ordered it. And he looked out, and he saw all those soldiers, and he panicked. And Elisha said, verses 16 and 17, "'Don't be afraid,' the prophet answered. "'Those who are with us are more than those who are with them.' And Elisha prayed, "'Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see.' Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire, all around Elisha. Horses and chariots of fire. That means an angelic army had showed up. He was concerned about these 50 or so soldiers out there to arrest Elisha. And Elisha just said, Lord, open his eyes. And when he, when he looked out again, he saw this angelic army all around him. Did you know there's an angelic army all around you? The problem is we haven't seen it. We need to get our eyes open to the spiritual domain. Now, angels don't have physical bodies where they can be limited to one place at a time. They can appear, and when they appear, they typically appear to people like someone that we can look up to and respect. Every time an angel showed up, people would—the first thing the angel would say is, Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Because when, when you when you see an angel in the spiritual domain, your knees start shaking. They're not warm fuzzies; they come to make a difference in the world. The thir- here's the third one I want us to think. I'll just tell you the story here. In Acts chapter sixteen, Paul and Silas were preaching the gospel. They were telling people about Jesus Christ, and people didn't like it. St- Stirred people up. They didn't want to hear this good news. So they arrested Paul and Silas, beat them, and locked them up in prison. Their, Their wrists and their ankles were in shackles. All the prison doors were bolted shut. It's nighttime. And Paul and Silas began singing praises to God. I don't know if I would be doing that after I'd just been whipped. After my hope was taken away, God, I stuck my neck out for you. I took a risk for you. And this is the result I get. But they were singing praises to God. Why were they doing that? Because they weren't praising God for what had happened to them. They were praising God for who he was. Because God doesn't change no matter what your circumstances happen, happen to be. He's still the same. So they began praising God and the earth began to shake. This earthquake came and and that, that prison began to shift and shake and rattle and all the locks on the doors swung open. Not one, all of them swung open. And then the shackles fell off their wrists. This is a bit more than just an earthquake shifting the hinges. And the jailer come running in because he had seen what happened and he saw the doors open and he took a sword out to commit suicide because he knew he's going to be executed for letting all these prisoners free. And before he could do that, Paul shouted out and he said, don't do yourself any harm. You can see we're all still here. And the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? But pay attention. Before he said that, He called for lights to be brought in. You see, it's a dark place, and he called for light. So they brought in some torches. Then he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? I wish somebody would ask me that question. i got to do everything I can to stir people up and get people excited and get people interested about asking God, what do I need to do to be saved? This guy came to Paul and asked the question. God... Give us dreams. Pull us, God, to ask the question, what do I need to do to be saved? One more scripture on light. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, not in it. You once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. If we are light, then we should live like it. I mean, what kind of light is it that gets covered up? What kind of light is that? Black light? It's a light that gets hidden. That's not really light. light. If you're going to put a light on your Christmas tree, you put it up off the floor. You put it in front of the window. You put it in a place where it can be seen. The purpose of light is to shine. And we are now light. Light in a dark world. Don't just blend in church. We got to let our light shine. People should see there's something different in us because we have a choice light or darkness and darkness is the easy way. It's the default position. Let's go to the second uh, contrast we have here. I'll read the scripture. John chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So the second contrast is spirit or flesh. We have a choice. We can live in the spirit, or we can live in the flesh. Jesus described the uh, the origin of the flesh is being born of water. Because we all know in the, in the 21st century, except for maybe the little kids, we all know that when a, when a, a baby is pre born, it is carried inside the baby's mother's womb, where it's in a water sack for protection, it shields it. Before the baby's born, the water breaks. It's a pre-birth step that has to take place in a natural birth. That's water birth, not being baptized. He's talking about a water birth, a natural birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So we've all had this water birth. We've all been born the natural We all live in these flesh bodies, and we all understand our flesh bodies have appetites that will cause us to do the wrong thing every time. I didn't have a problem before I was a Christian. I just did what I wanted to do, and I figured that's the way it is with the world. But when I became a Christian, I asked the Spirit of God to come into my life. And he came in and he began influencing me. That's when my battle began. Now I have a flesh nature that's all about me and what I want. But I also have a spirit nature that's all about God and what God wants. And I have the decision to make it. Do I want to walk after the flesh to please myself or do I want to walk after the spirit to please God? That's the battle we face. It's okay, Christian, if you have a battle. It's okay if you struggle with temptation. It's okay if there's areas where you struggle, because it's the battle that we have. Yes. I'm determined I'm going to win the I, I, let, let me rephrase that. God's going to win the battle. Amen. I'm going to let His spirit influence me. In Galatians chapter five, verse 17, it says this: "For the flesh, That's that's our our human side. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Apostle Paul says, I want to do, I want to do, I want to please God, I want to do these things, but I find myself doing what I don't want to do. He saw the battle, the conflict within him. And you can't win the conflict if you don't recognize it. So I want you to recognize this pull between the spirit, what God wants, and the flesh, what you want. Mark chapter 14 verse 38 says this, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. My biggest enemy isn't a competitor. My biggest enemy is me. God wants to prosper me. He wants to bless me. He wants to keep His promises to me. But the flesh is weak. I keep going back to the easy way. I keep going back to the default position. Anybody else like that here? Thank you. The rest of us God's dealing with about lying (laughs) or coming out of the closet. John chapter 6 verse 63. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you they are full of the spirit and life. There's a contrast. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Did you know the flesh counts for nothing? Oh, we don't like to hear that, do we? We, we, we just, if that's the case, we, we wasted a whole lot of time in front of the mirror this morning. <laughs> the flesh counts for nothing because it's just a matter of a few years away and you're going to die and they're going to put your body in a hole in the ground and cover it up and unless you put a stone out there people will forget you ever were here the flesh counts for nothing the spirit gives life's purpose that's how God directs us and points us in the way he wants us to walk the spirit of God is crucial otherwise your life means nothing you can't find a purpose in life without the Spirit putting that inside of us. Here's the third contrast I want us to see. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, we read this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into The world. A false prophet is one who says, This is what God's saying, when God didn't say that at all. The contrast is truth or error. And we can walk in the truth or we can walk in error. Choice is up to us. Well, what is the truth? Where do we discover truth? Those of us who want to walk in the Spirit, we understand that the foundation. For truth is in this book. This is God's word. This is the foundation of truth. This is the platform we stand on. This is where where we let God tell us what we're going to believe instead of us telling him what we believe and what we don't. We let the Bible restructure the way we think. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. But we live in a hostile world to that. You know where the world, and in and, and, and particular, I'm talking about a younger generation that God wants to bless and use. You know where truth comes from with them? Right here. There are multiple encyclopedias in your cell phone. That mini computer that you carry, I, I carry, I don't know if you carry. I do. Yeah. This is a wealth of information. You can discover anything you want to know on here. But who wrote it? Yeah. Amen. And what's their perspective when they wrote it? Yeah. We have a young generation being raised up, and I'm all for education, I'm all for learning. I'm all for in, invest, putting things in my mind that I can pull out later. But it's a young generation that doesn't believe this is the standard. They believe there is no standard. I'm okay. You're okay. Everything's all right. And one of these days, every one of those young people, every one of us, are going to have to stand before God and give account for what we know. Amen. This is why I am not going to waste my time or, year, or your time by standing up here and telling you stories that put a smile on your face. I want to tell you the truth that moves us to change. Amen. The truth, whether we like it or not, that's going to move us to where God wants us to be. Yes. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 4. They'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Jesus Christ is coming back again. There will be a judgment day where every one of us have to stand before him and give account of what we've done with what we know. Don't don't have itching ears and run here and run there for somebody that'll make you feel good with their message. Listen to the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 say something similar. The spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. We need to let God tell us what is moral and what isn't, what is right and what is wrong, not what we feel inside. Your happiness is not crucial with God. Your obedience is crucial with God. We, we have this philosophy that's rising up that says, well, I, I want to be happy. Don't I deserve to be happy? What the Bible says is you deserve to go to hell for eternity because we're sinners. But by grace, because of what Jesus did, we have a hope in the future. Here's number four, the fourth contrast. And you'll pick it up if I, if I read the scripture. Luke chapter 15, verse 32 but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He was lost and is found. Are you lost or are you found? We have a choice of walking in our foundness or walking in our lostness. We've got a choice. That's the story of the prodigal son. The son who ran away, sowed his wild oats, wanted to explore life his way, and found out that's not working so good. Decided to come back to his father and found it's much better just to stay there. Much better just to have father watching over me. Are you lost or are you found? John chapter 3 verse 18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Did you know that if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're condemned already? Oh, but I'm a nice guy. I don't hurt people. The default position for a sinner is eternity in hell. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to this cross, not this cross, but to come to that rugged cross, die on it, pay pay the price for my sin, for your sin. That's the good news. That's the gospel. He paid the price. Price is paid. There's nothing more you can do. Price is paid. We have to just rest in that. That's how we get found. Lostness is the default position. Let's go to number five because time's slipping away from us. Romans Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See the contrast? Wages and a free gift. Wages are what you have coming to you. Wages are coming your way. The wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says, Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. See the difference? Because we have a whole church world, uh, uh, not just here in America, but all around the globe, different denominational persuasions that all believe we're have, we we're bad people, they agree with that, but we have to do some good thing to outweigh the bad, as if, as if God measures something up here on a scales and all the good over here on this side, and all the bad over here on this side, and if the bad outweighs the good, I go to hell, and if the good outweighs my bad, I go to heaven. That's not the way God works. God sees the the, the, the scales tipped way over here. We're all bad, and the wages of sin is death. There's no way out. You can't do enough good. It's what Jesus did on the cross that's the good. I get to heaven based on grace, not based on my works. My works have wages, and a free gift is how you get Jesus. You cannot earn it. It's a free work of grace. One more scripture and we'll wrap this up. Leviticus, this is the Mosaic law, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13. "Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back wages of a hired worker overnight. Did you, did you know that was... This, this is where the term day laborer came from. You paid a person for a day's wage when they did it. Now that, would, that, that accounting would bankrupt most businesses. To factor all that out and figure out your paycheck at the end of every day, But this is part of the Mosaic Law. And there were some colonies right here in the New World that when they established their judicial system, they made the Mosaic Law the law of the land. We got people crying out against Muslims that want to impose Sharia law. Did you know in America in the early days, it was the Mosaic Law was the law of the land. And that scripture would fit. You could take that to court. You do not let somebody that earned a day's wage today go hungry. You pay them. Now, I'm not talking about how we have a corrupt economy in our country. Everybody ought to be paid daily. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the wages of sin is death, and it doesn't wait. God's the one that made this rule. It doesn't wait. Now, God is merciful. He will let me go a while. God's kind of like that neighbor of mine that walks her dog, and she's got this leash. She'll release it, and the dog takes off and does what he wants until she releases it. Now the dog stops short. God, because of his mercy, because he really, really, really wants people like you and I who please him willingly he will let us cross the line because he really wants to see us repent. That's what puts a smile on the angels' faces. So he'll let us go a little ways, but I'll guarantee you the the slack will be jerked out any minute now. (laughs) How many have ever had that happen, God jerked the slack out? That's what I thought. The rest of us just wait. (laughs) (laughs) The death isn't physical death, although it can be. The death is the death of what God wants to happen, how he wants to prosper us, how he wants to bless us, the goodness he wants to bring into our life. That's the death. We lose our ability to make wealth. We lose our ability to have a happy marriage. We lose our ability to have kids we're proud of. When we compromise, death works in us, and it doesn't wait The seeds that are sown begin to die and germinate as soon as I sow them. So it's your choices. These things are choices we have to make. I can walk in the free gift or I can walk in works. And it sounds like I'm kind of going back and forth because I just very clearly said you need to change the way you live your life. But the reason we change the way we live our life and we do things that please God is because I have found favor with Him. Not to get His favor. See the difference? I'm not doing good things to get God to favor me because God favors me out of, out of a free gift. Now I want to please Him. I want to honor Him. I want to do something that honors Him. And when I honor Him, Guess what happens? He honors me. I've got to sow the seed before I get the harvest. I take the first step. Actually, I'm not taking the first step. Jesus did when he went to the cross, paid the price for our sin. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you for the grace you had, the mercy you showed me once upon a time when my life was full of selfishness full of myself. Lord, you forgave me when I came to you. You gave me a new purpose, a new vision, a new direction. And Lord, although I've failed along the way, I've tried my best to honor you. And I know this room is full of people that I consider my brothers and sisters who have done the same thing. We've tried to honor you. And Father, we pray that you would continue to do that in others. While we still have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let me just ask the question, is there anyone here you can say, you know, I feel like I'm walking in the dark world. I don't want to walk there. I want to walk in the light. I feel like I'm trying to do good and get in no place. I just need to rest in what you did, Lord. I want to go to heaven, I don't want to go to hell. I want your favor, not your judgment. The world is contrast. I want to make a choice of the contrasts that, that are before me. Father, I want to honor you. I, I want to accept you as my Savior and what you did on the cross. If, if that's you, would you raise a hand? I promise not to bring you up front, embarrass you. Thank you. I just want to know who to pray for. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to lead us all in this in this prayer. Let's all say it together. Those of you that raise your hand, you mean this, and I promise you, God will hear you. So let's say it together. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father. I, believe I believe in you. And I understand what Jesus did for me. I did for me. And I confess that I'm a sinner. And I've hurt you many times. I ask you to forgive me. I accept what Jesus did on the cross. And I ask you to to release me of my sin. Send your Holy Spirit into my heart. Speak to me and guide me. And show me how I should live my life. So I can honor you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. God is so good. If you said that prayer, uh, I'd, I'd like you to come up and see me because I have a little flyer that, that says, uh, now that I'm a Christian, what do I do now? And it gives some, some steps. I'd like to give that to you. Uh, So you can take home, read it at your leisure, because God does want us to take positive steps. He's taken the first one. Now it's our turn. Amen? Amen. Amen. We have some uh, prayer warriors, prayer partners, I should say. Sometimes we do warfare, but prayer partners that will be up here at the front that want to agree with you. If you have a prayer need, bring it. They want to partner with you, and we'll expect God to bring breakthroughs in your life. Amen? Amen? Amen. Dismiss us, Lord, with your favor and help us to walk out of these doors with our light shining. Amen. In Jesus' name. Go with God. He loves you.